Thank you, Raul. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm really, really glad to be here this morning to be able to preach a Mother's Day sermon where the mom is called a dog and the daughter is possessed. Like, who? Seems a little questionable, but let's go ahead and go with it. Uh, I am excited about a story that I didn't really understand a whole lot until this week. And my hope is that as we jump into this series, Drawn to the Margins, that God wants to encounter you in new and fresh ways. This series is a Christological series. We're going to be focusing on Christ over the next five weeks to understand that this is who Jesus is, and these are the people he cares about, people far from the powerful. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see Jesus going to the geographical margins, going to people that are marginalized, going to perspectives that need challenge in order to engage people into more significant faith. And I will tell you, and I've said it before, but I mean it, that sometimes in this church, Bethany, we're a, we're a teaching church. We have a legacy for 100 years. I mean, think how remarkable our senior pastors, we've had two senior pastors in the last 50 years. It's over 50 years. Remarkable, right? And oftentimes, I've found that people are, are maybe more curious when I open scriptures like, you know, Nahum, chapter 7, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not even sure there's seven chapters in Nahum, but you get my point. Like, but Jesus' stories are harder because we know the Jesus stories. Some of us have taught the Jesus stories. We've, we've heard this one before. But my hope is that in Drawn to the Margins, there are places within yourself that Jesus wants to challenge. There are places and people that are marginalized in our community, in your family, in the world, that God wants to expand your capacity to love. Because as we engage marginalized places within ourselves and with our community, that God will increase our capacity to bless the world. So may it be so, Bethany Community Church. May it be so. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church and this season. We pray that your spirit would fall upon us, would come into this place now, open your word, God, that we would understand you, Father, Son, and Spirit, in the way you want to challenge and encourage us. Teach us about this woman's faith this morning in order that our faith might become more real in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. Your sermon title this morning is called This Significant Faith. The Significant Faith. I'm excited about opening a story that, like I explained, I didn't really know a whole lot about until this week. And and my hope is that it would connect to something God's been doing in my own life. See, in my own life, God's been challenging me for a faith that's more significant, for, for a hope that's more significant. That my, that my marriage, that my children, that my friendships would, would bear out fruit that is significant because of who Jesus is. And I had this kind of post-Easter lull where I was like in prayer with the Lord and I was so sad. I was, I was discouraged. I, I, was, I was worried about people in my life. I was bringing prayer requests. And as I was sitting there, I just, I felt like, God, you know, this, this church that you asked me to help plant was, it's nine years old. And at times when I'm in my, my insignificant, you know, kind of like negative voice, shame-based voice, I'm like, wow, it's just, it's really insignificant. It's so small. God, I want more. I want more power, more glory, more transformation. I want more baptisms. I want more people to encounter your saving grace. And and God just continued to minister to me in that place. Because it's in that place of wondering about significance that God says, I want to continue to increase and bless the ministry of this church. 
It made me harken back about nine months ago when we were, you know, kind of in that exploratory time around that little property down in Edmonds. Some of you weren't around yet, but for those of you that were part of our church, there was a season we were praying to enter into a long-term rental in a different building in this little, is this little church. And in the fall, as we were kind of having town meetings and casting vision and, you know, getting contractors' bids and all this deal, I, I went to our council. We have one council over all six of the Bethany locations, and I was, I was pitching them that this is the thing we want to do. And this co-worker of mine, this woman who I don't even work with anymore, she's since moved on, but she, she said to me during that meeting, she said, Scott, I feel like God gave me a word for you. I feel like God wanted to share something with you. I said, well, that's great. What, what is it? She says, as you were talking and kind of, you know, kind of making your pitch to the council, she said, I felt like God was saying, Bethany North, ask me for more. Ask me for more. I was like, huh. Is that like, what do you mean? Like, we've got this plan. We're going to like rent this building and it's going to be seven years and it's going to be so great. And, you know, the plan ended up disintegrating, but the word has not wavered. God, in the last year, has continued to challenge and speak words over my life about his significance. Because our hope as a church transcends the building that we worship in. We want to be women and men so engaged with what God's grace has done in our lives that our faith is significant into our roommates' lives, into our coworkers' life, into our marriages if we're married, into our families. We want this kind of real faith. And this is what Jesus came to do was to continue to encounter people that felt like they might be outside of God's story and bring them in that he would, he would have a more significant love story than the world could ever imagine. In Mark 2, 17, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so Jesus would identify as his core mission then those who are on the outside or those who have places of hurt or, or, or marginalized spots that feel like I might be outside the story. And so in today's text, Mark 7, verse 24, we have this really incredible little story about a woman who begs for healing for her sick daughter. This woman, this mother, this significant faith shows us the big faith yields big results. And, and that this is what Jesus loves to do. He loves to come into people's lives when, when they're radically hungry for him, when they're in places and postures saying, I need more of you, Jesus. And so the overwhelming bent of Jesus' example and his teaching is that God loves all people who are, for whatever reason, on the margins, which if we're honest, is all of us at times. Maybe if you're honest, is you this morning feeling marginalized. And so margins, marginalized, they're a a place and they're a people and ultimately they're a perspective. And ultimately, God wants to encounter us all this morning that our faith would continue to grow in significance. So let's begin in Mark 7, verse 24. Margins are a place. We'll start out simply. Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Mark 7, verse 24. And so we just start out at a very outset, and we would say, geography matters. This is likely Jesus' only trip to Tyre and to Sidon. This is the only time where he ventures outside the, the, the region of Galilee, outside of Israel, up to these, you know, Tyre and Sidon. 
And there's something that Jesus is doing as he wanders about 40 miles north. He's further out in the margins than he's, than he's ever been and than he's ever going to go again. It's interesting. And he comes there and he, he's just rattled the, the, the religious establishment in, in Mark 7 at the beginning. And now he, he, he retreats. The thing with Tyre that's interesting is Tyre was originally part of Israel. In the book of Joshua, chapter 19, it was given to the tribe of Asher, but it was never subdued. The Canaanites were never driven out. And so where human effort has failed, Jesus stepped into those places and says, only through my power can you conquer the unconquerable. Tyre was a city called The Rock, 40 miles northwest of Capernaum. It was a harbor province of Syria and Phoenicia. It was prosperous, it was pagan, and it was a seaport. In modern day, this place is really nice. Like, it's still, it's a vacation spot on the sea of, on the Mediterranean Sea. But in Jesus' time, it was a dangerous place. It was a marginalized place, a place that no God-fearing Jew would go, and it was supposed to send a message. Jesus' trip outside the boundaries of Israel, we're not meant to avoid places in ourselves or others that are most resistant to the gospel. We're not meant to avoid places in ourselves or in places of other people that are most resistant to the gospel. We're meant to go to the margins too. Jesus' ministry was constantly pushing out. And so those people and places in our life that we say God's grace could never reach there, Jesus says, go there. Those people in our own lives, those, those places in our own hearts that we feel are so shameful, so broken, so hurtful from the past that Jesus is like, that's the very place that I want to encounter, these marginalized places. And so in verse 24, Jesus goes into this house, likely to, to, to just kind of relax on the sea, even though it's part of Syrian Phoenicia. And he's just rattled the, the religious establishment in the beginning of Mark 7. And so he retreats to the sea, and it says he couldn't be hidden. He couldn't be hidden. Now, this is just a bit of a side point, but here's the thing. Like, if Jesus is in the house, everybody knows it. Now, if Jesus is in the house, everybody knows it. If Jesus is in the space, his power is emanating. Now, we do that different in the Western church. We worry about the fence and the yard and not the heart of the location. We're worried about how people are seeing us and what our religious duties look like and where we've served and where we've gone. And yet when Jesus is in the house, nobody could, could, could miss it. And so when you're in places that feel like, man, Jesus hasn't been here in a while. He hasn't been in this marriage in a while. He hasn't been in this house in a while. This relationship with my child, with my parent, like with my roommates. If Jesus is missing, we're meant to notice that absence. And see, Jesus, I want more of your presence in this place. So Jesus is there. Nobody can miss it. And the woman goes to him. Now, this is incredible. Because as Christ like walks out to the margins, we're supposed to be noticing that significant faith will equal real action. That great faith seeks the welfare of others. And it's interesting to me when you study all of Mark 7, any Bible students in the room, please just read Mark 7. But Jesus gives this whole theology lesson at the beginning of Mark 7, which becomes a ministry lesson at the end of Mark 7. Well, Scott, what's the difference? Remember, theology is the stuff that we think about. 
But ministry is always a bit messier and murkier because it's relational. Now, in our, like, how do we translate that? Well, so many of us, it's like we have values that we want to live out, but it's in the challenge of living the values out in the messiness of real relationship that can get messy. And so Jesus has given this great theology lesson to the Pharisees that it's not religion he's after, but heart change. And then he walks out to the margin and says, this is what it looks like. And so discipleship is about finding marginalized places inside of ourselves and allowing Christ to meet us there. And this way, significant faith will equal true actions. The margins can teach us that in our brokenness, Christ can redeem you. And it's messy. It's messy in the ministry of letting Jesus redeem the broken places within us. It's messy. But what doesn't break you can lead you home. And even this morning as I reflect on the messiness of discipleship, 10 years removed from our first Mother's Day grieving a dead child, and that, that's still messy. That's, that still hurts. That's still part of the narrative. And Jesus says, it's in those messy spots I want to continue to minister to you. This is what marginalized people and places within ourselves and without ourselves can teach us. And as we learn to see those things within us that have become hurt, that have turned off from the power of God, we can more fully step into receiving God's grace. So just a, it's almost a silly little example of that. I think of uh, Johnny Cash, the late Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash in 1968, he, he did something that was almost unheard of. He, he headed into Folsom Prison and did a concert, two of them actually, in front of prison guards and inmates in Folsom Prison. They recorded it, and four months later, the record in Folsom Prison Blues, the recording, hit the Billboard Top 100 charts and made Cash significant again. Well, wh- why did he do that? Why did he go into the jail, like, go to, like, Carnegie Hall in New York City? No, no, not for cash, because at that season of his life, he had failed popularity, he, he had a broken marriage, he, he was addicted, and he said as he, as he walked into the prison, he saw his story in their lives. As one biographer wrote, when a man like Cash sings Amazing Grace in a prison, he sings it with authority of one who needs every drop of blood spilled to gain the benefit of such necessary pardon. And so church, we should be hungry like that. Man, if we're going to have significant faith, if we're going to ask God for more of his power in life, we're going to see marginalized places in the world, marginalized places in ourselves and say, Jesus, that's my story too. Can you redeem that too? Then secondly, in verse 25 through 27, we learn about margins as a people, marginalization of people. And this is this really tricky text. Look at verse 25 through 27. I never understood that until this week. Look at, in fact, as soon as this woman heard about Jesus, this woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at Jesus' feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenician, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Okay, that's, that's surprising. Like, what exactly is Jesus saying here? 
He's looking at this marginalized woman, this woman of color, this woman of, of not equal status in the God-fearing Jew's eye, and she comes, and this is her story, this mom, this desperate mom with this little girl possessed by a demon. Now, some of us are like, man, what about the child? How did this happen? How did the mom know? We don't know any other details, but we know it happened, and we know it's real. And I would challenge you that though this happened 2,000 years ago in real life, it continues to happen every day around us. That the enemy, the powers of principalities and darkness, wants to come into our lives and disintegrate our faith, disintegrate our relationships, oppress those people around us, oppress us, to pull us away from this God who loves us. Three times in the last week, I'm having conversations about impure spirits and people feeling like there's something happening to somebody they love. And so if you think that that's just the old story, you're fooling yourself. And so this mom, this desperate mom, comes and, comes and falls at Jesus' feet. I've been told for a mother, the highest stress one can feel is to see your baby's hurt. And so this hurting, desperate, real woman She comes, and what does she do? She falls. Like the first step of her declaration of significant faith, she doesn't even say anything. The text says she just falls. And great writing and axiom is don't tell about a character. Just just show it, right? Like sometimes when we're trying to write screenplays or stage plays, like there's a ton of us talking. No, but great writing is you allow a character to just show their internal turmoil instead of just talking about it. And so this woman with significant faith, she just comes and she shows Jesus, I'm ready to, to, to worship you. She falls at his feet immediately. And this is where leadership is forged, real leadership in which power is constantly abandoned in favor of love. And so this is the best leaders I know. They constantly know how to lead from their knees, from their hunger, from their humility. So if you're a mom in this room and you want to be a great leader in your house, fall. If you're, if you're a, a husband or a man, like, man, I, just, I want to be a strong spiritual presence and fall. For the singles, like, man, I'm not sure I find myself in this story. Fall. Because anyone that wants authority will find it at the foot of the cross as you fall. I just can't stress it enough. I mean, it happened again this morning in the first service where we invited people to to kneel where they sat or to kneel at the altar. And sometimes we're scared to move because it's like, Man, if I come up here and kneel, you know, hey, my, I'm old. My knees don't work that well. Then come and sit, you know. Yeah, these seats that are only used at Easter, you're welcome to use them at any time, I promise. But as you come here, like I just experienced this, you kneel and the joy comes from your posture of humility. So this is the amazing thing about broken people. They don't mind a posture of humility because they're desperate. Because they know they need something that only Jesus could furnish. It's true, right? You go into the third world. You go serve people on Aurora. Like, you serve marginalized people. They know they're broken. They know they're hungry. They're willing to receive. But sometimes it's the comfortable ones, the Christians. Now, we, I don't know if I'm hungry. 
I mean, yeah, I understand Jesus in a very ethereal level, but it's been some time since I've experienced his power fall. And if we're going to be a church that's asking Jesus for more, it'll come not from better speeches, but a different posture from our knees. Direct application to anyone in this room that wants to lead You want to lead your family, your business, your classroom, your football team, fall. So this woman gets on her knees. And I just, it's amazing, right? Significant faith. And then Jesus, he says these words to her. First, let the kids eat. And then, you know, the dogs. And it's like, what? What is going on here? I mean, I've read so much this week about this, and even commentators, scholars, PhDs, people much smarter than myself, they themselves are divided. Some say, well, there's a progressive revelation going on. Clearly that Jesus doesn't even know how big the gospel is. And and then they're quoting, you know, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and Jesus is learning himself from this woman. And no doubt Jesus is, is, has an increasing capacity to learn, but Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And the, the little dog, like, yes, in Greek or Hebrew, to call somebody a dog is like, guess what? It's an insult. Really? <laughs> Same thing today. But it, the form that Jesus said is like a household pet, like little dog. In ancient Hebrew culture, the dogs would sit under the tables and wait. They knew that food was coming. And if any of you are dog owners in the room, it's like, you take care of the dog, Like maybe, yeah, maybe the dog's not, you know, like a child, but like you love the dog, you feed the dog, you care for the dog. It's some level, some of you more than others. So he's not criticizing her. He's not playing with her. He's not attacking her. He has affection for her. But this is a hard word to say. He's not saying like, you're not going to get fed at all. He's like, I'll provide for you. But first I came for the children of Israel. He's going to care for her. But listen, church, he's drawing her out. And this is huge. He's drawing her out. Jesus has just given this big speech in Mark 7 about it's not the outside that defiles you, it's the inside. I want this powerful, significant faith in my children, says Jesus. I'll cover their lives with grace, and I want them to have a life so powerful from the inside out that, that people are changed by their encounters. And so this woman falls... And Jesus is drawing her out. And it's like, what's taking so long, Jesus? Sometimes Jesus will wait to heal you as he's drawing you out. Sometimes he'll wait to heal you as he's wanting to restore you. And I don't know why that is, but I know it to be true. That God is all powerful, but his timeline is unknowable. And oftentimes we're asking for God to move. We'll question his timing. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to trust me with this one. You're going to have to trust me with this kid. We have moms in this room. We have dads in this room that are like, oh, yeah, I'm worried about a kid. You're going to have to trust me with this one. It's a hard one. And I don't know why that he waits, but he waits. I think back in our Junction Reconstruction Project, it was a strip club. Now it's our offices and coffee shop. I know it's an old story. We need new stories, but it's a powerful story because when I told, when, when I came to the Shoreline Pastors and said, God did this new thing and we heard from God and we transformed this dead space into a life space, this woman walked up and she said, we used to pray for that building, mom's in touch. We would walk and pray when it was a strip club by the high school. But we always wondered, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? 
Jesus wants to draw you out, to, to increase your faith while you wait for him to heal you. And so this is where this woman is convicting. Do you pray while you hurt? Do you trust God even while you're waiting for the miracle? Do you believe that God is powerful even when somebody you love is under an impure spirit? Is there places in your life that you're wanting God to redeem and it's taking a while? Is anybody in the room being encountered right now with what God is saying to you? I will, I will build you up. I will heal you. I want to free you, but I want to use this time to build your faith. You think that worship happens on the far side of deliverance. This woman's here to change your mind this morning. Get on your knees, even while your little one is being possessed by something. It's an amazing, powerful moment. It's mysterious, because let's be honest, it's messy and mysterious in the marginalized places of our own lives and in our community. But Jesus is showing his disciples, and he's showing me, and he's showing you, I have something to show you. God wants to encounter you with surprising people at the margins to show you your, your learning still awaits. Your discrimination needs to be stomped out. Your, your, your racism needs to be eradicated. Your hope needs to increase. Your faith needs to become significant through the marginalized people that you encounter. I, I took this guy fishing once, and um, midway through the morning, anyone that's a fisherman knows there's a lot of waiting. You just sit and wait and sit and wait. And so we're out talking, and he had found out that I was a, a pastor in training. So then it was like the weirdest thing happened. It became like Bible jeopardy. And he was like, oh, you're going to be a pastor. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like working. I'm the guide. He's the client, so I have to be nice to him, and I can't like run away. It's a small boat. And so he's like peppering me with Bible trivia. You know, the Syrian Phoenician woman, what, what possessed the daughter? Uh, I don't know. What is Matthew 12? Seven, you know, I don't know. Uh, ah, do you know how big the wall is? The wall, the wall in Nehemiah. Like, you remember Nehemiah, they built the wall. Do you know how thick the wall is? Those measurements are in Nehemiah. I'm like, I have no idea how big the wall is. I was losing Bible trivia, but here's the thing. I'd spent some time with this client. And what preceded Bible trivia was vile words from a heart gone bad, racist words, demeaning words about women, destructive words. It's the Bible trivia, man. I wasn't interested in playing that game. Because if we're trying to win Bible trivia, but we don't have an ethos of learning from marginalized people and having the grace of God surprise us in new places and people and even in our lives where his grace can change us to be more loving, more significant. I'm not interested in playing Bible Jeopardy. All right, anybody else in the room? I want this kind of significant faith. I need it. Margins are perspective. And this is where this series wants to encounter you in the next five weeks. Because this woman's incredible faith. Look at verse 28 and 29. Margins is a perspective. The Lord is drawing her out and she says, Lord, she replied, Lord, Lord. This woman of color from an outside of town place knows enough with Jesus shows up to say, you are my Lord. Even the dogs under the table, they eat the children's crumbs. She's willing to wait for whatever Jesus wants to give her. 
And he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. It's incredible. He says, you have faith. It's amazing when you think about labels. Because this woman, she was a dog in the eyes of people around her. Certainly she was a dog in the disciples' eyes. And yet Jesus looks at her and he says, you're the faithful one. You're the redeemed one. You're the one I, I give all my grace to. There's people in this room right now, you've got an old label. You've got an old label that someone spoke over your life. You're the broken one. You're the victim one. You're the divorced one. You're the cold one. You're the faithful one. Just grow faith in me and allow me to minister to you and I will do miracles in your life if you wait. Jesus heals her. Like the power in the story is so simple. Do we continue to come to Jesus in postures of falling and words of affirmation, Lord, believing he's still powerful? If we're not, our faith is dry and done. And it's okay if you're there this morning. I'm not gonna be another voice of self-condemnation, but there needs to be some new oil on your head a new spirit in your heart. Jesus wants new and deeper faith for you and for this faith community. He wants to encounter us that. Jesus knew exactly what he was gonna do, exactly what he wanted to name this woman. He brought his disciples out here to teach them that God's not annoyed by persistent prayers. He's hurt when we lack significant faith. He's pleased when we're attentive. He's pleased when we're desperate. The Father delights in meeting our needs. And so significant faith believes that we need healing too. Like this is, this is our story. Thank goodness that Jesus was drawn to the margins. Thank goodness that Jesus takes those marginalized places that I've written off or I try to hide away and says, I want to redeem those too. And so if you're in the room this morning and you're like, I'm the marginalized one, through whatever perspective, just know that you're in good company and know that Jesus has special affection for you. He has special affection for the marginalized ones. He's going to be good to you. Like this is what Matthew 7 promises. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though, are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So don't stop asking. And may we be grateful. Because this is the real elephant in the room. We're her like this is this is your story you're the dog you are outside of the children of Israel and Jesus came for you and and if you're willing to wait you can be grateful that he will work in power in your life but it's true that the closest in proximity to Christ will need the biggest heart change and so don't grow cold it's those closest to the faith that sometimes grow the most distant. Yeah, man, Scott, nine years ago, you said be the church, but here we are nine years later, and I'm not sure be the church looked like this. I'm not sure either. But I do know that significant faith is calling me today, this season ahead, for more. He wants us to ask him for more. 
And when we're hungry like that and desperate like that, our hearts can be changed. It's interesting that Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon and and he takes this little field trip there. We don't know a lot about it, but Jesus would quote it back a lot later. Matthew 11, 21 says this. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Do you know where Bethsaida and Chorazin are? They're right next to Capernaum. They were right next to Jesus' home base of ministry. And so Jesus is like, man, if those that are closest to me grow cold, man, you're missing it. Because out on the margins, my grace is still good news. Out with the broken, they haven't grown tired of hearing about this. And so if your heart is cold this morning, Jesus wants to just increase your capacity to encounter him with a bigger faith. More significant action. Deeper faith leading to truer action. How? I just want to just lift up a few practical applications from this story and then we'll wrap it up. First of all, practical applications from this very simple story. We need to be praying for others. It's called supplication or, 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 or advocating. This is real faith what this woman does. This is authentic prayer for those that can't pray for themselves. And we see it in the scripture with the nobleman's son or Jairus' daughter, the centurion servants. Real faith comes to Jesus and advocates for those that are too sick, too broken, too discouraged to come to, them, come to Jesus themselves. So don't stop praying for others. Parents in the room, you cannot save your kids, but you can pray for for them. So may your prayer life be a marker of obedience. Secondly, don't stop the fight of faith. To pray often is to persevere. To worship often is to persevere. Continue to believe that you can be a vessel for other people's transformation. Don't stop the fight of faith. And finally, grow a faith that knows how to kneel and praise even when you hurt. Even when you hurt, may your faith be significant like that that knows how to kneel and praise even when your heart is being ripped out. Even when the world around you tells you, yeah, Jesus, I don't know if he can help on this one, bud. Like we need a shift to significant faith where we as a church are asking for more. And we won't get there without hunger. We won't get there without humility. We won't get there without desperation. How does the story end? How does the story end in verse 30? How does it all go down? She goes home. She goes home and she found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. I spent a lot of time this week thinking about that mom, that faithful one with a significant faith, whose knees were sore from kneeling, who, who called Jesus Lord, and then she wanders home. Do you think she took her time Do you think she, like, just, you know, did some other things on the way? Or do you think she ran, trusting that the words spoken by Jesus had healed her little one? May we be a church that runs. May we be a church that hungers. May we be a church moving to more, more of the spirit, more connections to us as churchgoers, more action where our faith is leading us to engagement in the real world. I want that kind of significant faith. May this be a year ahead where the Lord Jesus gives us more through his power. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for these women and these men. Thank you for this day. In 2019, we declare it is your day. 
And so, God, would you make us a church hungry for more, leading from a posture of humility on our knees. Lord God, we thank you for the example of this woman from outside of town, from the marginalized places, a marginalized woman who, who, who taught the disciples this is what love looks like. This is what grace looks like. And so, God, may we hear your encouragement even now to step into places or in people's lives and help give them a new name from the dog to the faithful one. Lord God, would you allow us even to see places in our own heart that are grown cold and callous or covered over in shame and may your grace and peace encounter us there. Lord God, we're, we're hungry for more. And all God's people said, amen. As we close in worship this morning, we're going to do, um, we're just going to take a moment. We're going to hear some guitar. I'd love to have you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're just going to be kind of silent before the Lord as the guitar plays. And we're going to seek to listen. God, where is a place in my life that's, that you're challenging me to step into? Marginalized places. It's my workplace. It's a place across the world, across the street. Maybe it's my own home that feels really a war zone right now. Or, or a person, God, who's a person that's marginalized that you're calling me to love? Or Lord, a perspective. Is there a perspective I've held that's hurt others? A perspective I've held that's locked me out from significant faith in the interior spaces of my heart? We're just going to be quiet for 45 seconds and just listen and ask the Lord to, to lead you in those places. If he gives you a place or a person or a perspective, just turn that over to him in prayer. Just bring it kneeling and, and, and praising him. Turn it all over to him. Let's pray silently in our own hearts now. Jesus, we're asking for more, more faith, more trust, more hope, more of your grace in our lives. Pray for the hurting ones in this room right now. May your spirit minister to them. We pray for the discouraged and the down and out. Lord, we're grateful for those with joy this morning. May it increase. Lord, make us a church, women and men, on fire for you, asking for more. Give us this kind of significant faith. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? And we just heard a story about a woman who knew how to kneel and knew how to praise. And so as we close with a couple of songs, I want to encourage you, praise or kneel. Like, if, you, if you're so bold and you want to lead with this kind of passion and humility, come forward and just kneel. We're going to turn this high school stage into an altar. If that feels too vulnerable, you can kneel where you're sitting. If you don't want to kneel and you want to just praise, you can lift your hands. We, we lift our hands. We open our, our hands. We, we, we do this as just a posture. God, we want to praise you even while we're waiting for your healing to take place. So may we be a church with significant faith. Let's continue as we close in song on our knees, opening our hearts in praise, worshiping God, asking for more.